It's hard to imagine that you can live as a follower of Jesus for years and basically have a prayerless life, which was my situation, just to let you know. And through a series of events, I, I recognized uh, through other people praying for me and having experiences that, um, that prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do. That uh, a prayerless life means you're living a defenseless life. A, power, a prayerless life means you're living a powerless life. And a prayerless life means that you are subjecting your, all those people that you love to all the gates of hell. A prayerless life transforms everything else around us because it moves our focus off of ourselves. And that's why we love to train people in prayer. So on February 18th, after the second service, after this service at 1.30, just down the hall here, we're going to have a prayer training. This prayer training, by the way, is for anyone and everyone. Now, for those of you who want to be part of the prayer team, this is the door that you need to walk through. But you can attend the prayer training, go through it, and not necessarily commit yourself to the prayer team. Everyone hear that? You sign for this online, so you go online, our website, and, and you can sign up for this at, at any point uh, coming up. But I would highly recommend this as a way to build relationships and, and be empowered in prayer. If you are on the prayer team, would you stand? In other words, you pray on the Sunday morning prayer team. Would you stand? There you go. Here are some of the people that intercede for you and pray for you. And what we're going to do is we're going to bless them. So um, would you get around them? And Terry and Mindy, would you come up here? Because you're too close together. There's going to be too many people who want to pray for you. Get around. These people are standing. Would you get around them? We're just going to bless them. Make sure you got Charlene in the back. Just stand around them and bless them. Gather around Mindy right here. We're just going to take a moment. We're going to bless those who've been blessing us, who've been praying uh, for, for us. So Dan and Luz are right back there next to David. Let's make sure we have a hand on them to bless them. Thank you, you guys are doing a great job. I'll just start us off. Lord God, we thank you that you, we have people here that love you first and then care about your people enough to want to intercede for them. That Sunday after Sunday, these are people in the trenches who meet us with our problems, our challenges, and our issues, and they stand in the gap for us. And so we do that right now for them. We speak blessing to them. We speak a prayer of blessing on them, a prayer of blessing on their relationships, on their household, blessing on their finances, on their coming and, and their going, Lord, on their life with you. We ask, Lord, that you would replenish them right now. Even as I do that for us, Holy Spirit, come and replenish. Holy Spirit, come and refresh. Holy Spirit, come and rejuvenate them right now. Remind them of their calling, of their assignment that they've embraced and stepped into. And so we just take a moment and we bless them. Holy Spirit, come. And so, Lord, we're, we're grateful that these people, by obediently stepping into their assignment, they have blessed us and we are the beneficiaries of their obedience. And so we bless them again this morning and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's thank them again. Thank you. So again, sign up online. And uh, come to the prayer training, whether you want to be on the team or not, regardless, 
uh, it'll be great in terms of empowering and equipping you uh, to be prayerful people. We're in the third week of our studying the Gospel of John. We just launched this off. So you just walk in the room. We're at the beginning of John. John chapter 1 and John chapter 1 verses 19 through 34 is what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to talk about walking in our assignment. Walking in our assignment. Uh, John and Joe were identical twins. People couldn't tell them apart that close. And John, uh, jo- Joe had an old boat which he used to rent out, one source of income for him. And he rented out one day to a, a, bu- a bunch of businessmen who went out and got drunk and just thrashed the thing and almost sank it. So he spent the day trying to salvage his boat. He turned off his phone. And during the course of the day, he was unaware that his identical brother, John's wife, passed away. But he didn't know. He finished salvaging his boat and he left the, the dock and he went out to the 7-Eleven that was around the corner and he goes around there and the clerk who knew him and his identical brother John thought he was John and said to him, boy, I'm sorry for your loss. This must be really painful. And Joe, thinking that she was talking about the boat, said, oh, you know, fact is, I'm glad to get rid of her. You know, she was a rotten old thing from the very beginning. Her bottom was all shriveled up. She smelled like fish. I was glad to get rid of her. The clerk was like, what are you talking about? A case of mistaken, mistaken identity. So these guys go to John the Baptist and they say, who are you? Tell us who you are. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? You know, who, who are you? Are the prophet? Who are you? Case of mistaken identity. I have no idea who they're talking to. An assignment is a God-given call that is accompanied by specific tasks which God wants you to do. And it always begins by learning how to love people. And it begins through prayer and worship. It begins by bringing yourself before Jesus because you cannot accomplish your assignment unless you know who Jesus is. He is the one who orchestrates all of that. So John's assignment will be clarified over the course of three days. He knows he's been called to baptize, that's his assignment, but it leads to something else. So the first day is recorded in John 19, the second day is recorded in John 29, and the third day is recorded in John 35, all in this chapter. And it shows a progression of him understanding what his purpose is and what his assignment is. So it begins, and I'm gonna actually go to the end of our section, verses 26, through 34 and read that to you first. So John 1, actually verse 29, we start there. So the next day, this is the second day, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Try to get your head around that one. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you uh, you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. So you'll see in these verses, there's a series of things that John has come into revelation, come into understanding with because he's been obedient to his assignment. Otherwise, he wouldn't know these things. Obedience leads to revelation, to what God wants me to do, what the assignment is. And he comes into understanding of what all these things are and what these statements are. You will not know 
your assignment, what you're supposed to do with your life, unless you know who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come on your people in such a way that we would begin to discern and distinguish the difference between the busyness of our life and the calling of our life. That we would begin to discern the difference between all of our activity and what you actually are doing in the world around us. That we would, Lord, reprioritize what we think is important so that we might gain your heart. I pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from the captivity of those things that are an inferior reality that we see on the TV and our phone so that we might step in to the superior reality which is shown by your presence. And so Holy Spirit, love your people this morning. Love them into the great things that you have for them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that I, I was raised in part in Israel, went to high school, uh, undergraduate work, graduate work in Israel, and lived there for quite a number of years. And um, nine months of the year, I wore sandals. Because you can. The, the, Israel is, is very similar to Southern California in terms of weather. And so other than when it's raining, very cold, uh, you wear sandals all year round. And let me tell you, your feet get dirty. <laughs> it's not a concrete sea there. There are places where there's dirt. And when you're running around with open uh, feet all during the day, your feet are filthy. There's not too many people volunteering to wash your feet at the end of the day, if you know what I mean. And so when John starts here, he, he, he says that um, I'm not even qualified to serve this guy, Jesus, who I'm going to tell you about. I, I'm not even qualified. I can't even uh, unbuckle his sandal, let alone wash his feet. I'm not even high enough on the food chain to do that because I have discovered that he is wholly other. He is, he is something beyond what I could ever imagine, and I can't even serve him properly. I don't even know how to do that. I'm not even worth serving him properly. That's who this guy, that guy is. It's, it's mind-blowing because this is, verse 29, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. I, I want you to, to notice that he says, I came baptizing and discovered this. But you notice in the Gospel of John, the baptism of Jesus is actually not recorded in the Gospel of John. What we have is what happened afterwards. So when, when John is talking about this in this chapter, he has already baptized Jesus, and Jesus has gone off for 40 days into the wilderness and has just come back. And then they're having this, this encounter and this, this conversation. So John has already seen the Holy Spirit come on Jesus, remain on him, and the voice from heaven speak, this is my son whom I love. So he's had all that experiences and it's opened up his eyes, but he would never, never have discovered who Jesus was unless he had been obedient to his assignment. And his assignment was to call Israel to repentance so they might receive their coming king. There are people in your life that will never discover Jesus unless you are obedient to the call that God has on you and step into the assignment that he has for you. Do you love them enough to do that? Do you love them enough to do that? There was a, a guy by the name of George. He used to love to ride his bike to work. He was close enough, and it was good exercise for him. And so he had just read this passage. He had read, and that phrase, behold, the Lamb of God, just, just stuck in, in his head. He, he was incredible 
that this Lamb of God takes away my, my sin. That's, that's what he does. And so as he's riding his bike, thinking about this passage, he felt just impressed to shout out loud, behold the Lamb of God who takes us away the sin of the world. And he kept cycling, but immediately afterwards he felt, I need to do that again. So he shouted it out again, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then George had the opportunity to get a glimpse into the assignment that God had for him. Every once in a while, God will allow us to have a little glimpse into what he's done and what he's doing. And his glimpse was like this. Six months later, his bike was broken. He's, I've got to walk to work. So he wasn't terribly happy about that, but he's walking along to work. And as, he, as he's walking, there's a woman working in her garden out front in the front yard. She says, hi. The woman says, hi, how you doing? The woman says, I'm doing great. And the woman stood up. It's clear that she wanted to talk. Total stranger, but she wanted to talk. She says, you know what? Six months ago, I was thinking about committing suicide. I was so depressed. I was crying out. I said, God, if you exist at all, if you're real, speak to me. And she said, just then, six months ago, I heard this voice that cried out, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I said, oh, my God, what? God, did you just speak to me? If so, would you say that again? And again, it came. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The woman was absolutely floored. She said, God, God is speaking from heaven. What is this? And that led her to make a commitment to follow Jesus. And she became a follower of Jesus. And George, George had the privilege of just a tiny insight into what God is doing and the fruit of obedience and stepping into your assignment. May God give us more, more of those things. So he, he says that this guy surpasses me. He's greater than me. And, and oh, by the way, and he was before me. No, no, wait, wait, wait. You are six months older than Jesus. They're cousins. John's born first. So how can Jesus be before him? And of course, the only way is as he began to understand that this Messiah, the Christ, is actually God as well. And has always existed. He has no beginning and end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Eternal One. And it's mind-blowing. He begins to recognize that this cousin of mine is something other. He is wholly other. And, and what's going to happen is part of his assignment is going to be is to connect his disciples that are following John, which we'll see in the next verses next week, to this Messiah, to the Son of God. That'll be part of his assignment as well, that he's connecting because assignments are always relational. Assignments are not you getting a job title and work and doing a job. Assignments are relational. They're about people. And that's what John is going to do. Because this is one on whom the Spirit remains. The Old Testament prophets had, had seen that when the Messiah come, the Holy Spirit would remain on him. And you see, the thing is, is we break God's heart through our sin and our selfishness by wounding ourselves and others. And when we do that, we create a separation between ourselves and God. And so the Spirit won't remain with us and on us in the same way. He doesn't abandon us, but things do change when we sin. And the Spirit never leaves Jesus. It always remains all the time. And John the Baptist can see it. And that's why he says, oh my gosh, this is not normal. I've got something else going on here. This is in fact, verse 34, God's chosen one. This is the one. This is my, my purpose. I've just discovered because I've been obedient to my assignment. I've discovered who Jesus is. This is the Messiah. This is the coming one. This is the promised one. This is the one that Israel has been yearning and waiting for for centuries. And if I had not been obedient in my assignment, I would have never discovered that. And it's absolutely essential for everything else that, that happens. 
you'll never know who you truly are until you discover who Jesus is. They go together. And sometimes what happens with us as well is assignments reveal who we aren't. Verses 19 through 22, they reveal who you aren't. So look at John. John, remember, has two parents who are both from the tribe of Levi. That means they serve in the temple. They got full-time jobs. They got the, the 401 okay, uh, 401k, the IRA, their retirement program. They're part of the system. They serve in the temple apparatus. They've got it made. And John the Baptist, when you grow up, you can come and work for us as well at the temple. We got the whole program lined up for you. No problem. John says, no. But, but you can live comfortably, a good middle-class life, no confrontation. You don't have to be out wearing that scratchy garments that you wear and eating insects and locusts and things like that. You can live, you know, you can sit and eat tri-tip with us and, you know, enjoy life. You don't have to live this way. John says, no. Because this is my assignment. And the thousands upon thousands of people that will be impacted by him being obedient is incredible. He says, this is what I must do. He says, uh, you know, sometimes pastors and other Christian leaders are accused of having a Messiah complex. Like they're going to save you and fix your life, which is a complete lie, by the way. They may help you, but they will not save you. John did not have a Messiah complex. He says, I am not the Messiah, verse 20. That is not me. What's interesting, though, we have men sent by men, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, to come and interview a guy sent by God. It's not even a fair fight. So look at this. What, what is, who is John? He is, in fact, he belongs to God who sent him out. He is commissioned by God who sends him out. He is empowered by God who sends him out. That's part of his obedience. That is his identity. The problem is this. Assignments face scrutiny. So as soon as God has called you into something, behavior changes, lifestyle changes, choices change, decisions change, and it'll impact those people around you. Sometimes it's wonderful where people say, wow, what's happened to you? you? You're actually kind of a nice person. I like being around you, which wasn't necessarily the case before, particularly with our relatives, by the way, which is where we face the most and the first scrutiny, usually, by the way. But what happens is assignments mean scrutiny, mean facing scrutiny because assignments will not fit your life patterns. What you're currently doing won't work with God's assignment. Not only that, because assignments will cause others to question. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? And because assignments don't take place when and where we expect it. God will always surprise us. As soon as you figure out the formula and the method for God, and you got them all boxed up really nicely, let me tell you something. You just missed it. Whatever it is. Because he never fits our program. Have you tried that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, he doesn't fit into my management program. He never does. He's always doing his thing, and he's always surprising me because that's what God does. So it will face scrutiny. And by the way, every time, every time, as soon as you make that decision, I'm going to be obedient to God, you will face opposition. You will face scrutiny. It comes with it, and you must choose to persevere. And so they continue to ask him questions, verse 21. 
then who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Now hold on. Didn't Jesus say he was Elijah? What we think is, if you remember 2 Kings 2, Elijah never actually physically dies. He gets taken up to heaven in the whirlwind. Remember that? And so the rabbis believed that the, the physical, the real Elijah, same person, would come back in flesh and blood and anoint the Messiah. What John is saying is, I'm not the actual flesh and blood guy. I'm not that reincarnation, because we don't believe in that, of Elijah. That's not who I am. But notice what Jesus says about him, because Jesus answers the question differently in Matthew 17 when his disciples ask him. The disciples ask him, Matthew 17, 10 through 13, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things, baptism to repentance. But I say to you that, uh, that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, as per this conversation right in this passage, but did to him everything, whatever they wished, off with his head. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. John interprets the question one way. Jesus interprets it according to Scripture. So what we are, who we are, Jesus tells us that. Jesus tells us who we are. He tells us what we're about. He tells us our future. He tells us what he wants to do with our lives because he, he loves us. He is the one who gives us significance and a place and an opportunity. And then they ask John, oh, okay, so are you the prophet? So they're working down their list. Messiah, right? Elijah, the prophet. What are they talking about, the prophet? Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, that there's one coming after me, a prophet, and he's clearly talking about the Messiah. And of course, that points to Jesus. So John got it right, says that is, is not me. Sometimes then, our assignments are revealed, reveal first who we aren't. What happens when we still haven't figured that out? I was senior pastor of another church some years ago, and I was greeting people who had arrived early for the service in the sanctuary. And as I did so, a couple walked in and walked down the, the center aisle looking for a seat. As they did this, I felt like the Lord said to me, you see this couple? They will either change or they'll be gone within a year. And I thought, maybe I had too much pizza last night. Maybe I have indigestion, you know. Maybe I have a too active imagination. Am I really hearing you, God? And so what I do when I have an impression like that, I'm not sure. I kind of put it, give it back to the Lord, put it on the shelf. If he wants to bring it back, he'll bring it back to me, right? It doesn't belong to me anyway if it's his word. So this couple, I got to know them. Uh, it was clear that they knew scripture. He was part of the men's group and really knew the Bible. They jumped in right away. They served in all kinds of ministry. It turns like every time I turned around, they were involved in ministries in the church and in our outreach ministry. They were everywhere. They served wonderfully, great people, etc. cetera. 10 months, 10 months later, he asked for an appointment with me. And he comes in and he sits down. You know, pastor, I, I've served you for these last 10 months and now I need you to give me a platform for my own ministry. Hold on, time out. I said, first of all, you don't serve me. Please don't serve me. We serve Jesus. 
I don't have a church. Jesus has a church and he lets me serve him in his church. Don't serve me. You didn't serve me. If you serve me, then you don't know who you are. They'd been there 10 months. They left the next month. And I was sad because they were wonderful people. But see, they didn't know who they were. When we don't know who we are, we serve people. Don't serve people. There's nothing of eternity in there. I'm not worth it. <laughs> but I do know someone who is worth it. That's who we want to follow. Because he's the only one who has a church. He's the only one who has a ministry. I don't have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry. And we serve him in his ministry. That's where eternity is born. That's our assignment. And the problem is, is, is so often is, is we, we look at things like this. It's, oh, they're just trying to keep me busy. They want free labor. You know, they just want, they just want me to work. I mean, what, what does it matter to these people? And too often, instead of serving, you know what we do? We do the opposite thing. And this quote, I think, captures it pretty well. This quote is talking about commitment. What is the minimum commitment I need to make to get the maximum return without risking what I have? That's what we call calculating. If that's how you think, please don't serve. Please don't serve. Because <laughs> you don't understand who you're serving. Uh, another attitude, here's another attitude. It's from Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. He says this, though uh, that we ought not to be weary in, of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Now that I can do. It's not the size, the quantity, the enormity of the work. It's the love with which it is done. And that is our assignment. That is our assignment. See, assignments reveal who we are. How do I know when I'm, I'm doing my assignment? How would I, how do I know? I mean, what am I supposed to feel? You ever had, had that time where what you said and did really blessed somebody else? You weren't asking for anything in return is completely unselfish, unconditional. I'm just going to bless this person. And, and in doing that, you saw that that encouraged them, that blessed them, that, that really helped them move forward in life. You, you know that feeling that you have, that feeling that you had that, you know what, I think God really is on the throne. And even though the world is crazy, he's still on the throne and he's running things. And I have joy in this moment. You've ever had that feeling where you just really blessed someone and you felt like my heart is full. That's fulfilling your assignment. That's how you know that you're fulfilling your assignment. That's how you're supposed to feel. Because it's not about you. You've just connected someone to Jesus. And they felt Jesus. And they've experienced him through you. That's your assignment. That is how you know when you're fulfilling your assignment. And so these guys asked John the Baptist, verse 22, well, who are you? Give us an answer. What do you say about yourself? So let me ask you, who are you? What do you say about yourself? You cannot afford to think anything about yourself that Jesus doesn't think about you. 
you cannot afford to think anything about yourself that Jesus doesn't think about you. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my chosen one. This is the one I delight in. This is the apple of my eye. This is the one who's engraved on the palm of my hand. That's what he says about you. And the first thing in your assignment is to know that. Because out of that, everything else is birthed. Out of everything else, something will come. And so John finally said, I am the voice of one, verse 23, calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Make that road ready. So and I uh, ministered at an international church in Kenya, and, and we were there for all the Obama years, the four years that, or the eight years that President Obama was, was in office, we were in Kenya. And, and what's significant about that is, is Obama's father, you remember, is Kenyan, or was Kenyan, right? So when we were living there, Obama refused to come to Kenya because of corruption there and a number of other African countries. And the Kenyans were just mourning, like, are you kidding me? We finally got one of our own in the White House, and you won't even come and visit us? I mean, they were so upset. You, could not, you would not believe that, how upset that they were. So once he had finished his second term, and moved out of that, and his visit would not have any political ramifications, supposedly, he came to Kenya. And so the road from the airport to downtown Nairobi was a complete disaster. And what they did is they began a massive beautification, a facelift. They planted trees, I mean, literally took trees and planted them. There weren't trees before. They planted flowers all along the road. They painted everything along the way. They made it beautiful. They made that whole drive from the, from, from the airport into town, just this gorgeous thing. Why? Why would they do all of that and prepare the road and for the way of the coming president, former president? Because he's one of our own, you see. He's our relative. That's how they viewed him. This guy who has a Kenyan father, is one of us. He's part of our family. We're receiving him. We're rejoicing in the fact that, that he's coming. And they took it really seriously. John declares that this is one of our own. He's one of our people. It's from our tribe, our, our, our clan. He is, in fact, the coming one, the, the, the Messiah. And, and they say then, okay, if that's the case, why, why do you baptize with water, what are you doing? By what authority are you doing these things? And, and, and he says that my authority is based on God's assignment to prepare God's people through a baptism of repentance for the one who will come and baptize with fire. That, that's by what authority I'm doing this. Because I'm going to baptize with water, but this guy's going to come baptize with, with, with the Holy Spirit. And he recognizes that I, by carrying out what God has told me to do, I'm getting other people ready. I'm blessing their lives. I'm preparing their, their lives for the one who is even standing hidden in your midst today. Because we know their ministries overlapped. He said, verse 31 and 33, he says, I actually didn't know him either. Now, hold on. You guys are cousins. You never did Christmas together. Come on, what about family reunions? You didn't get together once a year for a family reunion. Everyone fights and carries on and things like that. This is your own relative. Don't you guys ever get together? I mean, what are you talking about? Okay, so you lived in Nazareth and John is raised in Jerusalem and then later out in the desert. But come on, you guys don't know each other? Really? 
Maybe you know each other by reputation. Had you never spent time together? What do you mean you didn't know him? It's clear, though, that what he's saying is, because I carried out the assignment that God had given me and baptized people, Jesus then came to be baptized as well, even though he didn't need it. But he becomes part of that great group of people that is beginning to shift the spiritual atmosphere in Israel, preparing the way for the Messiah because he's being obedient. So what is my assignment? How do I understand it? And our assignment is always a general aspect to it where we're involved in bringing the kingdom. The specifics will vary based on where you are, your talents, abilities, skills, your spiritual openness, your age, all your education, all types of other things will feed into that assignment. And then God, just to show you that he is God, will leap over all those things and do the incredible and the impossible through you. Because he loves to do that as well. But how do you know that? A young man was trying to decide what he should do with his life and his career, and he came to the pastor and asked him, you know what, what I'm trying to decide, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? And the pastor said, you're supposed to go heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons, heal, and feed the poor. That's what you're supposed to do. And he said, yeah, 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 I, I know, but, but I'm, I, I'm just trying to decide whether I should become a teacher or an engineer. And the pastor said, great, be a teacher or an engineer. Either one is, is great. And then go heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons and, and feed the poor, right? Because that is your assignment. That is somehow wherever God has placed you, that's what we're supposed to be about because that's what the kingdom is. That's what the kingdom is. That somehow we're supposed to change our environment and where God has placed us by doing the things that Jesus is doing. That's what he's called you to. So as we look at this and discover our God-given assignment, what do we discover about it? First thing is that it's always relational. Assignments are relationship-driven. John the Baptist is going to discover who Jesus really is, and by doing that, he's then going to connect his disciples to Jesus. It's all about relationship. If you look at this and say, boy, my job is to fix people and straighten them out because they're, they're all sinners and that's what I'm supposed to do. You just missed it. You're not the Messiah. You're not the judge of the earth. We are called instead not to a job or to work in that sense. We're called to love people. We're called in love sometimes. A challenge comes with that. I understand that. But it is relational. And few people are wooed into a loving relationship with Jesus by someone telling them how bad they are. Why is it that we Christians think if we just go tell people how bad they are and that they're sinners, they'll come to Jesus? Why do we think that works? It doesn't work. It drives them away, at least 99% of the time. It's relationship-driven. So as you think, what is my assignment? What are your relationships today? It begins with your family, with your spouse, with your coworkers. Your assignment begins with those people that are immediately around you now. And then God expands that from there. Second thing is, assignments are impossible. If you can accomplish an assignment that you believe that God gave you, it's not from God. That's how, one thing that we know for sure. How is that? Because assignments always reveal our limitations. Assignments always reveal our humanity. Assignments always reveal our motivations and intentions so that I have a man who has served me for 10 months now want a platform to do his own ministry, not understanding that he doesn't have a ministry as I don't have a ministry. 
The assignments that God gives cannot be accomplished by you. Then why does he do that? Just to be mean? No, to invite us into a deeper relationship. It's connected to the first one. So we must be in relationship and know who he is and know how he's gifted us to fulfill our assignment. Impossibilities are given so that we be driven to him in relationship. Not so he's mean. It's an invitation. Assignments have hidden fruit. Besides George discovering the woman gardening had heard him cry out that phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We also know that John the Baptist's life, even after he died, continued to bear fruit. You know that? For example, Peter goes to Cornelius' house in Acts 10 and discovers that they know about John the Baptist and his baptism to repentance. Later on, we find uh, Apollos in Corinth in Acts 18 has known only the baptism of John. The 12 disciples of John the Baptist in Acts 19 in Ephesus only knew about John's baptism. And it's clear that there's thousands of people throughout the Mediterranean world that have been impacted by John and he had already been killed. You never know what God is doing and the fruit that he is bearing through your witness and your life. Sometimes you get glimpses of it, but too often we, we, we do not. And, and, and finally, assignments require perseverance. You have to stay with your assignment. You do not have the right to change your assignment. What is my assignment? Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, Feed the poor. In other words, do what Jesus was doing. Just do Jesus and what Jesus did. That's our assignment. And then we do that where he has planted us. When we don't, what we do is we walk through life missing part of ourselves. We walk through life not really knowing who we are. We walk through life as though part of us is not with us, as though something was missing and we've not fully discovered ourselves. A woman worked in a, in a grocery store. She stocked the shelves. And, and one time the boss came to her and said, this young lady's going to start working with you. She's working on the same shift. So the woman and the 20-year-old girl are stocking shelves together. And because they're on the same shift, they get to know each other and begin to talk. They discover their tastes are very similar. They like the same food, the kind of the way they dress, the same kind of music. It's kind of weird, actually. They, they like so many things the same. They're both blue-eyed blondes, and they spend a lot of time talking together. And um, the, the, the older woman learns that the, the 20-year-old is raised as a foster child and had some tough things along the way that she didn't know about. And um, as they begin to talk more, uh, it, the day came for the 20-year-old's birthday. And they're celebrating the birthday in the staff break room and having a cake and having a great time. And, and the woman began to think about the date and, and asked the young lady, she said, what, what hospital were you born in? And she recognized that 20 years ago, as an unwed pregnant teenager, she had given up a daughter who's now standing in front of her. Sometimes those reunions aren't great. This one was beautiful. Because she had discovered what she had lost and given up in a lot of pain had been brought back to her. Let's pray together. Worship team, would you make your way up front? Lord, we, we limp through life sometimes not recognizing what we don't have and what we're missing 
And so we live hurried lives of desperation and despair. Lives that so often lack meaning, lack a sense of belonging, lack a sense of place. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us again out of your great love for us. That we are people who are called to specific tasks and to carry out your work here on earth. And so encourage your people that their lives are important. Your life is important. Your life is given to you because it's important. Your life is not an accident. Your life is not an oversight. Your life is not simply something of survival. And so Holy Spirit, come. I pray you'd blow away confusion, that you would blow away and off of our hearts and minds the layers of the world and its messages to us in such a way that we would receive your truth and your goodness this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?